Welcome to the Across the Spoilerverse podcast. Ever since I've had that cold, I've stopped shouting the intros and I want it to be mysterious and gripping. And this mm-hmm. week, I thought it was going to be a slow news week, Greg, but there's actually quite a lot of things to talk about in regards to Marvel and the news. We're going to get into it. I'm very, I'm very excited. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Paul. I'm really, t- I'm, I'm exhausted today. I'm a little under the weather too. So I'm ready to be the audience cipher and just hear everything for the first time from you and then react in real time as most of this as per usual. That's my job here on the podcast, man, is for me to go, what's happening? Oh my God. And then I give like two lines to make it seem like I'm contributing to this thing. But I'm ready, man. We obviously this whole outline. <laughs> you, you asshole. You messaged me this morning, being like, "Yeah, we don't really have anything." And then he sends me this outline. I'm like, "We got so many things to talk about. What is he talking about? This guy's crazy." You got box office on the fir- first order of business here for this big box office news. Then the sack strike, and then we've got some James Bond news, some Spider Man Two first thoughts, and our a little review of it. Then some Spider Man Four updates. Loki season two, episode four review. Yes, we've seen it early. The news about the Deadpool delays, Marvel's tracking, and also a book I've been listening to over the weekend. Uh, MCU, the Reign of Marvel Studios. Uh, absolutely fantastic, Greg. It's provided a whole different insight to the MCU that I'd never even thought of before. I'm going to be talking about that in general. You know what? I don't want to spoil the whole book. I know we're, we're heavy spoilers here, but there's so many interesting things and yeah, just stuff I want to talk about because I absolutely love listening to it. No, man. Now we have a we have a topic there. You know, one of those, I read the MCU, the Reign of Marvel Studios, so you don't have to type of deals, man. That should be the name of this episode. Yeah, but definitely go check it out. I mean, I got it for $9.99 on Apple, Apple Audiobooks and That's cheap. Worth, it, worth every penny. It's about 16 hours long. When I've been going for my walks and stuff, I've been sacking the podcasts off, listening to that, and yeah, just all the ups and downs of Marvel and stuff they're talking about for the future as well. It's absolutely fantastic. But we've got some bad news to start off with, Greg. Well, some positive news, news maybe, um, but the Killers of the Flower Moon, that's taken Ooh. second place behind the era's tour at the domestic box office, and it's brought in $23 million dollars with a global total of $44 million. Now, I know you've seen this. It's rare I've seen both movies in the top box office. I've seen them both. Yeah, so what were your thoughts on Flower Killer Moons? Uh, Well, I've mentioned this before. Scorsese is my all-time favorite director. Uh, I was looking through his filmography. I'm pretty sure there's only, like, maybe one of his movies I haven't seen. One, Maybe one or two. Um, But... So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Scorsese fan, and I've seen most of them multiple times. And so I was really looking forward to this film, and I I, I, I honestly, I'm not sure if I even saw the trailer for the movie. And I'm, I might have seen, like, snippets here or there, so I was really looking forward to it. And uh, I agree with every sentiment I've heard about everything from a technical scale. Like, my, I'm going to give, like, the really short version review of a three-and-a-half-hour film. Uh, like, I think the performances are phenomenal. Uh, Lily Gladstone is incredible. If she does not get an Oscar nomination, that is a crime, a, like a serious, serious crime. DiCaprio is doing his third Southern idiot. I love watching him. He's like the biggest idiot in the world. I think it's probably the dumbest protagonist I've ever seen. And it's like he's intentionally dumb. Dumbest protagonist that uh, Scorer says he's ever had. And De Niro is in top form, one of his best performances in the most recent years, maybe one of his best performances of all time. 
uh, shot great as expected production design value. And it's, it is a very important story. I did find myself afterwards looking up more about it because I, I wasn't aware of this story because I am a naive American and I wanted to learn a little bit more. And I thought the story itself of what they talked about was impactful. Uh, that being said, you know, it is a three and a half hour movie and I'm not bothered by runtime. That wasn't something that was actually turning me. I mean, part of me was like, oh, it's a long time to be in the theater, but I've seen a bunch of long movies. And so I, that wasn't really a problem. I did think though, that overall I was never fully immersed into the movie. I still found myself kind of at a distance with the experience. Like I, I was constantly interested in what was happening but it still registered more as like an observation piece to me more than an emotional piece. While there's, you know, some serious harrowing stuff that goes down in this movie, while there's some really impactful things that, that do happen contextually, I still found myself more in an, in an observation audience seat member rather than being on someone's emotional journey. And I, and I, one of the first things I said was I, I wish it was a little bit more from the, uh, a sage people's perspective, more Lily Gladstone's perspective. Yeah. And then I went online. That's been and I, a big thing that people have been talking about all over social media. Common thing too. Yeah, it is. It is. a, And I found myself craving that when I was, when I was watching the movie. Um, I saw the language translator actually said that at the premiere or the guy who they brought on screen yeah, to kind of consult yeah. about everything. I, I saw he was talking about it and it's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> that's pretty wild to be saying that at the premiere but i mean if he's saying it then i guess it's definitely a valid point you know what i mean there's no there's definitely no bias there but to his point you know like he, he was saying that yeah you need it to be from if you're going to do it from the osage people it should probably be done by an osage director uh or you know someone with that lineage of some sort right um what it did do though was i th- i think it effectively got done what someone like myself who doesn't really know about this stuff it they wanted to communicate what the story was about they wanted to get people interested in it and i think to that effect with a movie where its message and context is so important that's what i think was you could feel that fervor behind the camera and behind the writing all of it you know and it it did have that impact of uh, i am i am finding myself actually researching the story now and wanting to understand it better because it did open my eyes to it. And overall, I still like, I, I still like the film. I still like the film uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, I just wasn't in, I wasn't in love with it to the degree that maybe a Scorsese fan like myself would hope to. And I like a lot of the Scorsese films that are not like his gangster films. Like I really love silence. Um, I, I, I know gangs in New York are still like a gangster movie, but that is more like historical period piece uh, type of deal that he's done. You know, so yeah, uh, overall, still, I think there's a lot of great merit to it, regardless. And I did yeah. not expect it to do well. It's not Nolan, a three and a three hour Nolan film is very different than a three hour Scorsese film. Three hour Nolan film still wants to entertain you and go for spectacle, while Killers of the Flower Moon has a bit of that old school Ken Burns effect where it's, it, it does feel like you're just kind of plucked in time. It, like people have been calling it epic. I wouldn't even call it an epic. Like it, it's, it's long and it's a period piece, but it's epic in runtime. And as a, but, it, but it's, yeah, it's not like a spectacle type of film whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, every time I've seen anyone talk about it, the runtime has been something that everyone's brought up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it has kind of overshadowed it. And, 
to be honest, it it did put me off going to see it, and it's not because I don't like long movies. I mean, just I, I worked out, you know, it's a three and a half hour movie. Trailers are thirty minutes long. It's yeah. four hours, and then I've got to travel there and travel back. And I just I don't have that personal capacity. Just with my family and stuff, I don't actually have that time. If I was a a young man again, you know, back in my twenties before I had kids and stuff, I would have definitely went out and seen it. But just yeah everything kind of with that i just couldn't balance it with my own personal life um and it is a shame but it it, it has kind of all grace randolph i was watching her box office podcast and it has mm. kind of brought up the fact that you know every every time we talk about people up there with christopher nolan we'll say like james cameron martin scorsese and so on but I think it has kind of shown that maybe martin scorsese doesn't have the pull that nolan does which is God, reflected no. in the box office now, an interesting thing as well is that it's getting, it, it's been put out in cinemas, but it was, or it is pretty much going to be aimed at a streaming release. Um, mm-hmm. Apple and Paramount produced it, I believe, and it's going to be dropped on streaming relatively shortly. So maybe people were just holding off for that as well. I don't know how well known that is, but I feel like they dropped it now in theaters so it could be an Oscar contender and build up some buzz and then you know when they release it properly on streaming yeah. which was the, the the reason that they got him on board it was the same with the irishman and um, that can kind of be used to to make people sign up to apple because let's be honest it doesn't have that massive subscriber base that you know your disney plus and your netflix and max does so yeah we'll see how it does um it might end up pulling in more money I'll be surprised if more streaming services keep offering Martin Scorsese $250 million yeah. budget movies to, to launch their streaming services or get subscribers in. But yeah, I've, I've heard good things about it. I've just heard a lot of the criticisms of you know the, the pacing and the runtime, which you know, yeah. it, it is difficult to keep people engaged for three and a half hours, let's be honest, I'm sure. It, re- it requires patience, man. It is, it is yeah. a meditative, deliberate, cold experience requires patience um and it is kind of funny that these streaming services they do sort of just throw money at scorsese because they want the clout they want that uh, that name so that prestige name association uh with him and for the kind of movies that like whereas like james cameron and nolan they create movies that can actually generate box office revenue you know Uh, and whereas like scorsese wants to do these very long expensive films uh which fit more in in, in this current climate and it's going to upset people because i always i saw irishman in the theaters i saw this in the theaters i didn't wait for streaming um at the, but with the way audiences have been trained i totally get that his movies for the kind of for like specifically these kind of why people would wait for streaming I don't, it's not my preferred method. It's not. I'm not saying it's the way to do it. I'm saying it makes sense to me. I mean, everything in general is just more expensive as well. Netflix yeah. have announced they're doing another price hike, and I'm already paying twenty one pound a month for that. <laughs> and just thinking, like, I it genuine. I know it's part of my job, but it this is the first price hike where it's genuinely crossed my mind: should I cancel Netflix? Yeah. And you know, to get movie tickets on top of that, just everything's so expensive. Um, people are being very, very selective with what they're spending their money on. And if they're even mildly excited about something, they might not go see it. Now, speaking of mildly excited about things, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of the Songbirds and Snakes, apparently that's tracking to earn 35 to 45 million during that opening weekend at the domestic box office, which would make it the lowest in the franchise. Now, because Rachel Zegler's in it, you already know what the narrative's going to be. You know what the narrative's going to be. But I think it go. I 
I mean, you know, that, a negative aura is going to be spun on YouTube about her being a part of the film. I personally think it, it's not all her fault because there's like Ra- Rachel Zegler is not in every movie at the moment, and there's lots of movies bombing right now. So I don't yeah. think people can blame it fully on her. Um, and I think in general, people are just exhausted with kind of seeing the same old thing. There's a lack of promotion as well. Um, obviously, the actors are still on strike. And there's there's nothing in that marketing that makes me desperate to see it. You know what I mean? It, it's like yeah. when we were talking about the Marvels, um, which we'll get onto in, in a bit, but there's not that money shot in the trailer or that, that thing that's really selling it. And I think in general prequels kind of have a difficult problem getting people on board because there's very few really good prequel films and a lot of the time it's just things you've seen before repackaged to make it look slightly older you know they'll get they'll get the style of the original movies scale back the technology a bit and then launch it like that yeah. so yeah it, there was nothing in that that I felt like I have. I need to go and see this. You know what I mean. It, it's kind of not really sold it to me. And then, but obviously, it's all it's all Rachel Seacliff's fault. It's all her fault because she did that Snow White interview and for Variety on the red carpet. So, what are your well, thoughts on that, Greg? Speaking of snow, when I saw the trailer, it seems that the main character is actually the young Donald Sutherland. Is, is am I correct about that? Is and I, I, and he's like the villain in the in the original films, and so they're gonna make him like the protagonist. I, if I'm correct, right? Like that's who he's this guy is playing. The Anakin young... Skywalker in it. They're making yeah, Anakin Skywalker the the main character. I feel like the trailers are not really communicating the tragedy behind the the impending tragedy of what's to come with this character watch how he morphed from oh he's a guy we actually like and rutiform he seems like a good dude and like i think there's like shades of that and, but i think we need to sell him on it because i think naturally with a prequel a lot of times we feel like we know what the outcome ultimately might be and and so you really got to get them strongly invested in a character you know like i, I think one of the best prequels is uh, x-men first class and uh, yeah, like we we know those characters, Magneto and Professor X. So we we wanted to actually see like how, how they relate because they only like alluded to it. And but they, but what that trailers what the trailers sold you on was not really what the what those trailers are. What I remember them selling us on is how their relationship started off good, and then we we're going to see what led to them their divide. And that was a compelling selling point. And here it is just the first Hunger Games, you know? And hey, look, it's that guy who's not Jennifer Lawrence, like the, not the main people you didn't really show up to this Hunger Games movies for. And, and now here's a younger version of them. That being said, though, I, I do like the trailers. Um, uh, not to just be com- like all negative about it. Like I get why it's not being as appealing as it ought to be. Uh, however, I, I see the trailers and I do think like, I like the mood of it. I like the tone and, and I, I tend to buy into the seriousness of it. And that guy from stranger things, whose name I'm totally blanking on that one kid, the funny one, he's in it too. And I'm like, I'm excited to see him do like a different kind of portrayal than what I'm used to. Cause the only thing I've seen him in is stranger things. I, I, there's a lot that I'm actually looking forward to. Am I 
clamping to go see this. Not really. However, I don't feel like I'd be like remiss to, you know, I, I would still like to go see it though. I, I am, I am interested in it. President Snow, he's not Darth Vader and he's not no. Professor X and Magneto. <laughs> so there's not that need to really yeah. learn about his backstory. Like everything I need to know, it's in, it's in those original films. Um, whereas Darth Vader, obviously, when you learn he's Luke's father and stuff, you kind of want to see exactly. his relationship with Obi-Wan and the Jedi Order and stuff. So they have way more things that they can sell that movie on. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, kind of makes sense why it's not as successful as it was. But the studio have cleverly, they've not announced there's an entire shared cinematic universe being built around it. They've just said, look, we're doing this one. And if it does well, we'll do more. They haven't been like, oh, we're making a new... Hunger Games trilogy, so yeah, yeah. The, the it seems like it's it, it'll probably you know underperform. But to be fair, a lot of films this year have been underperforming, and I'm sure Rachel Zegler is going to shoulder all the blame for it. She had to do with every one of them. It's the reason the Flash tanked. She makes good clicks on YouTube, and they can keep using that thumbnail where she says weird, weird. Um, so yeah, get it on. Get it, make every video on YouTube about that. Now, they're going to have to because there's not much happening in terms of acting at the moment. Um, the SAG-AFTRA strike has kind of stalled at the moment, though talks are resuming as we release this. Um, but yeah, there was a big, big crazy weekend where they basically released a statement and told actors not to dress up as popular characters from struck content for Halloween or post the images on social media. So it's like, well, if I'm not dressing up, I'm not going to be posting them on social media. But um, former SAG president Melissa Gilbert, she came out and said that it was basically stupid and mm -hmm. said, do you really think this kind of infantile <laughs> stuff is going to end the strike? We look like a joke. Please tell me you're going to make this rule go away and go negotiate. This is the kind of silly bullshit that keeps us on strike. Completely agree 100%. And yeah, when this thing got announced, I even screenshot you the tweet and sent it like, look at this. Fuck's sake. What are they, what are they doing? I think Ryan Reynolds' is, uh, tweet, I, that was the first thing I saw. I didn't even know what it was. Uh, that, that tweet was so funny. Of I'm going <laughs> to, what was it about? Did you see that tweet that he said about, like, I'm going to yell at my daughter and call her a scab <laughs> or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> but that even, like, Ryan Reynolds was also, that, that is a, a indicate, like, he's a huge actor. He's one of his A-list. And that, that, the tone of that tweet, I'm not, a lot of times you got to look at tones and just take jokes for what they are. However, with it being the sax strike, you, you could tell there's the implication that like even he's going, this is a little, this is a little much. This is a little far-fetched <laughs> what they're asking for right now. Yeah, just completely pointless. Um, doesn't help them in any way, I would say. We, I mean, yeah. we've been pretty pro-union pro the pro entire strike. time. Um, but yeah, seeing stuff like this, it's like, have you heard of Stop Oil, Greg? They're basically a protest group, but they go around destroying stuff and do that as their protest. And I'm I'm all for it, mate. I'm all I believe in pollution. I believe in climate change, but just as the way they go about it, I think it put. I think it turns more people against them than yeah. gets them on their side. And I, I think actions like this also do the same thing. So yeah, not a, not a good move. But apparently they're going to be reversing now. They've they've put something yeah. out to that effect. I think some people really quick, just to interject, sometimes you like to criticize a, an element of something here with the, with the SAG's approach. 
that does not mean we are not actually in favor of the bigger picture of what they are fighting for. I, I think a lot of times that just gets so misconstrued, like it has to be all or nothing or black or white thinking. And I'm like, no, it, does, it definitely doesn't have to be. We're not. It's not a religion. <laughs> like we can, we can be, we can be critical of some stuff, of certain a- approaches and tactics, uh, and and then go. But the actual things you're fighting for and what you want, like yeah, I'm, I support that, and I and I am on board for what you're fighting for. And the AMPTP ultimately yeah. is still the enemy here. Well, if the former SAG president's saying it, I think yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. I think if yeah. they're saying it, then it, yeah, they've probably got a point. Um, but. Mm-hmm. They've basically so film updates on Twitter. They've basically calculated all of the the costs that the strikes have caused, and apparently it's resulted in a five billion dollar loss to California's economy, the loss of forty five thousand jobs, and a four hundred million hit to the full box office, which is crazy because the the studio. I mean, we've been saying this for so long. What like why are the studios being so difficult and and dragging their heels and stuff? And obviously, you know. The actors have fired back on stuff as well, but to hear the the full cost of it, insane. Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, I'm out here. I see it. <laughs> you know, I'm in the heart of where the SAG strike is. The SAG strike is happening. Like, um, I think like a ten minute, like where the main pickets are, or like a ten to fifteen minute yeah. drive away from where I'm at. And you do see how it affects like restaurants too, and coffee shops, and all these other people as well. It's really, it's really sad. It's really disheartening. And, you know, I, I know quite a few people who are in SAG as well. I even go to the gym and I'm seeing the gym's less busy now, too. So that's like my one little bias personal benefit is I don't have to wait as long to do legs. Wait for that squat rack for a half hour like I normally do because not enough people can go, can go to the gym. It's sad, sad. It's, maybe I, maybe I, should I shouldn't joke about it. Maybe I shouldn't. I'll cut all that. Should I? No. So, um, yeah, I, speaking I of should, actors, I think we, movies, Can we keep in us discussing if we should cut it? Can we keep all that in? Yeah, I'm just, right, you're sweet. getting cancelled and everyone's going to not listen to the show anymore. So, brilliant. Well done, Greg. Your joke has cost us as well. I noticed if I joke about stuff like that here, I get in trouble. If I joke about the stuff on Real Rejects, people are like, hey, people, it doesn't matter. So, I think we should just take the risk. Yeah. Okay, we'll do it then. But it's your funeral. <laughs> Let's do now, it. speaking of funerals the last james bond had a funeral in it it was the funeral of james bond but like all things the life goes on and they've decided that they're bringing back james bond however barbara broccoli she's come out i can't believe i'm still riding this segue barbara broccoli's come out and said (laughs) the james bond tv spin-offs will not happen they're not making any james bond tv spin-offs our focus is on making feature films. When Sweet. we get going on a Bond movie, it takes our full attention for three or four years. So that's our focus. And that comes from an interview in The Guardian. And I completely agree with her 100%. I'm so happy. I think it's the right thing to do. I think that making cheap TV adaptations that don't quite live up to the films, it's going to dilute the brand and completely kill the box office of the next film. I think yeah. it's right. I mean, I, I did talk about this on Twitter earlier. Um, I want to read the the response from someone um, because I, I thought it was quite an interesting point, but they basically said that, I'm not going to name and shame them, Greg. I don't want people going after them to kill them and stuff because I know what my followers are like, and I'll be lucky if you're still here next week after, after those jokes. But they said... Um, 
Their focus on feature films, meanwhile, it's been two years since No Time to Die, and apparently they're not even really ready for Bond 26. Um, and I, yeah, I said, well, to be fair, they killed the character off and they're going with a new actor and style. And I feel like they just want to get, give it some room and get it right. You know, the next 10, it's like Superman Legacy for me, where this next thing, like how good this next James Bond film, that's going to carry the next 10 years of James Bond. They have to really nail down everything about it. Whenever you bring in a new James Bond actor, you have to realize that he's probably going to be in it for the long haul. If they flop on that first film, it's going to affect so many different things going forward. And it's going to be an uphill battle to get people invested in that. I mean, George Lazenby is the perfect example. They had Sean Connery. He left. They brought George Lazenby in. I think he, I think looking back, he was good, but he clearly wasn't accepted by the the general public at the time, and they had to basically recast with Roger Moore the film after. And they don't want to be in a situation like that where they're just having to constantly. It could, I mean, it could kill a brand. And and doing TV shows like this, we've seen with we've seen how Disney have been dead set on doing TV shows and how much it's diluted the box offices of their their yeah. big big tent poles like Star Wars and Marvel. Well. You skipped out on T. Doll, by the way. Mm. Timothy Dalton, who a lot of people find. Yeah, he did act- too. Yeah, yeah, he was. A lot of people loved T. as Bond. People thought he was actually like kill. he was underrated. Well, um, what happened with him was Pierce Brosnan was going to be in the role, but they had a, a contract clause on Remington Steel where they could extend it. And then when there were talks and there were rumors that Pierce Brosnan was going to be Bond. Remington Seal guys that thought let's extend it, um, mm. and then they brought Dalton in to do it. But I think Dalton's good. They went with a he was kind of the prototype Daniel Craig, where they went with a yeah. much more serious tone. Because Roger Moore, love the guy, love him, love his eyebrow acting. Can that was great, but he took it in a very goofy direction by the end Definitely. of it, and they wanted to make it more serious. So Dalton came on board and License yeah. to Kill, I think, was the first fifteen. In in case you don't know, Greg, because you're American, in the UK we don't have R ratings and stuff. We have mm. U for Universal, PG for Parental Guidance, 12, you can watch it if you're 12, 15, and then 18 is like our top level. Um, And he, he was a 15. You see what I'm saying? It's great. Yeah. You've got to be 15 to watch this, mate. Oh. You can't, can't be 14 and watching James Bond. So it's like, this is edgy. It was almost not quite the Logan, but almost the Logan. Yeah, man, I agree. This is uh, I, I I didn't know there were TV spinoffs even like a, as a consideration. I didn't even know that. Well, Amazon bought the rights to him, so you might mm. actually see a trailer knocking about for a game show that they're doing with Brian Cox, right? Called something like 007 One to One Million or something. It's basically a game show, but they've got I don't know why Brian Cox is involved because he's never been in a a James Bond film before, but um, it's called 007 Road to a Million. It's on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, it's it's basically a game show where he's, he's like James Bond stunts. You got to do the tricks and stuff. Um, and I when I saw that, I was thinking, right, Amazon have bought the rights. We're gonna get twenty different TV shows on Prime Video a week. Um, but the Broccoli's have come out and said, look, mate, we're not doing it. We're gonna have yeah. Bond show up, shag some birds jump off a cliff with a parachute some theme tunes going to play and then they're going to he's going to go on a mission to stop 
some people and shag oh. some birds on the way. And that's basically the plot of every James Bond film. So I love this statement, though. Take some five years to write that, Greg. <laughs> it, but at the same time, though, I, I mean, <laughs> I, get, I get it, yeah. Uh, at the same time, I, I, I love the statement because, you know, Bond has been able to last for so long where you know sometimes they get flops and then other times they get like massive hits you know if i'm not mistaken skyfall was the first one to crack a billion dollars and that was like late into the game of james bond you know and because they know how to take breaks with bond they know how to space out bond they don't they don't just keep you never I, i don't ever hear the conversation about and maybe i just missed out on it I don't ever hear the conversation about Bond fatigue, you know, like it is just one of those franchises that seems to just be everlasting because they know how to space it out. And I think what they did with Daniel Craig is very, very interesting. They essentially wrote themselves into a weird corner. And that a lot of times that can sound like a bad thing, but sometimes the greatest projects come out of doing your best to be get really inventive and really creative to write yourself out of a corner not take a cheap route out like, oh, Daniel Craig is actually alive. And now we've just, you know, did a new casting for Bond because that's not the case of what you can do. They did. They took a different approach with Bond from Casino Royale to No Time to Die. And they ended up doing something never done, which is they killed the guy off. It's very, very fascinating stuff of what they did. Uh, and so this would be the first time where, because, you know, people were like, Casino Royale is a, origin story uh and it, and it was but it was also like it wasn't going to the time period of sean connery so it wasn't like you were doing the yeah. origin story leading that would lead into sean connery you know it was tied in it was, it was tied in but it was still modern day so it was very it's a very different approach and then and they, so they they allotted themselves an opportunity to do some type of otherworldly or, or genre bend with it where it's not like it's the same bond we've been watching this entire time and the fact that they killed them off is this would be the first time where it's like we get a new bond every so many years or whatever every so many movies we we, we get a we get a new bond and and i think this would be the first time where it truly feels like this is definitively a brand new james bond right now because they died and now we are starting over, you know, and it's going to be very, very different. And I, I hope they're able to pull it off. I'm really, I'm really curious and I'm so glad they're not rushing it because it's given us time yeah. to let it go, you know? And I, and I think, I think other franchises can learn a thing or two about what has allowed James Bond to be so prevalent for so many years and why there's, you don't hear this conversation about let Bond die, you know, because the people, like seeing it and they've, they've kept it simple uh they, they have kept it simple yeah. the, the craig ones went a little bit more complex with the character uh, i say a lot more complex with the character than you normally do and now it's now it's like what line do you write do you go more into depth with who is james bond and why is bond the way he is or do you go back to more basics of something more superficial like what you were talking about you know uh, i don't i don't know what you do but i think they can do something very intriguing yeah no, I agree. I'm very excited for it. I know there's lots of talks at the moment that they should go back to the 60s and do it as a period piece. I personally disagree. I, I I always feel like James Bond should very much be a product of his time. And I think that every generation should have their own Bond that kind of fits in. And so far, we've had that, you know, Connery's the 60s, 
Moore's the 70s. Dalton's the 80s, sort of. But, but Moore did a lot of the 80s as well. Brosnan's the 90s, and then Craig's the noughties. And I feel like, you know, you can see certain things in all of those films that kind of feel like time capsules almost. And I think going to a period piece, you're going to lose out on the gadgets, certain things going on in the world. I would like to just see a James Bond for this new generation coming up. And I think stalling things out, giving it a bit of time, you know, you're going to get that. And I'm I'm really excited to see what happens. I absolutely love James Bond. I think the Craig stuff was kind of almost like a, like a, Marvel Ultimate Comics run of him, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. now Ultimate yeah. Comics, in case you guys don't know, it was like the the best stories of the heroes condensed into a certain time period, and they went back. Like for example, with Spider Man, they told his origin story, and then his first battle with the Green Goblin. You know, Gwen Stacy's death, how he got the symbiote suit, yeah. and I mean, it's to- it's told over like maybe two hundred issues or something, I think. And mm-hmm. I-, I feel like that is what craig's bond was even the way no time to die ends which is his wife and well not his wife but his girlfriend and his daughter kind of driving along in an aston martin and she's telling the story of james bond i feel like it's very much someone telling the best james bond stories which is why blofeld and stuff pops up from time to time completely out of order timeline wise um but yeah excited to see what happens with it and that doesn't take us at all into our next story, which is uh, Spider-Man Two: The First Thoughts and Review. So, yeah, yeah. have you? Uh, yeah, I haven't really been playing it much, have you, Greg? You've been watching cutscenes. I've been doing the cutscenes a little bit again. Like, uh, I, I have, I have actually have the game, <laughs> um, but um, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to really sit down proper and play it until. And I know some people on my like on the audience out of real readers like, "Why are you doing this?" I'm like, "Well." I said I, I I gave you guys a heads up. This is what I'm going to be doing because I needed to. I wanted to do coverage for it, and I probably wouldn't be able to get around to sit down and play it properly. Honestly, yes. I'd have to like after Thanksgiving, <laughs> just looking at this current schedule. Maybe like like actual Christmas time, and you know I've done that thing where I like rush to review a game and rush through it, and it's. I mean by rushing, I mean like a forty hours and then trying to get a review up and stuff, and it's. It's just like it, it, it robs me of the of the enjoyment factor, you know, so I'm, I'm able to just take in the story right now, which is great because then I can yeah. really take my time. Cutscene's still the exact same story. It, I mean, you're experiencing I'm, it surprised and getting all the story beats the same. Yeah, so I don't I'm, I'm, st- I'm loving the story, just... though. I, I like I, I don't find myself go like I, I might have a moment or two where I'm like, oh, I wish I saw the gameplay, but I love having that reserve for me. And, and I'm really, I am loving the story a lot. I'm only about halfway through. He does have the black suit right now at this point. Uh, but I, I think it, the more it goes, the better it gets. And so far right now, like, I don't know what the ultimate end of the story is going to be. The one thing I wasn't expecting to walk away from is this is one of my favorite Harry Osborns I've, I've ever seen. Like it's, I, I've seen in, in terms of like adaptation, you know, I, I, I've watched um, Spectacular Spider-Man. I really love that show. And of course, the 90s Spider-Man series, the live action ones. And this is probably my favorite Harry Osborn uh, so far. I know it's not the thing everyone wants to talk about. <laughs> you know, like I love the black suit. I think the way it's visually realized is great. I love hearing Yuri Lowenthal's voice just snap into the the rage. Uh, it's and, it, and it, when the visuals go dark, there's like certain elements that kind of gave me shades of Last of Us 2. Uh, 
especially the first time he gets the black suit is what I'll say. Uh, there, there's a lot of great dark, like when it, when it does go dark, I really, really find it uh, truly compelling stuff. And it just kind of just keeps getting better and better. Uh, I, I am finding myself currently, like I'm only about, I'm a little more than halfway through the, the big chunk of the cutscenes, And maybe I wouldn't feel this way if I was actually doing the gameplay right currently. Because I, I did play the first two games, just so people know. I actually sat down and played those. But the Craven the Hunter is one character where I, I am craving a little bit more. Like, I think he's menacing and threatening uh, for the most part, absolutely. I still, I, I do find myself kind of craving a little bit more from just the actual scenes from him. They, they, his, some of his dialogue just seems a little, little repetitive, you know? Stop looking for a hunt. <laughs> my hunt. It's just yeah. all, most of his lines just come down to, uh, I want my hunt, you know? And I, I, I wish there was a little bit more nuance, I suppose, to him. Is the one thing I'm kind of I missing. mean, gameplay-wise, with him, you're a lot of the time you're fighting his lackeys, who are yeah. also dressed in, like, fur jackets yeah. with swords and shields and stuff. Um, So, yeah, I can totally see what you mean by that. I think, in general, how I feel about the game is that it it's a step up from you know the first two. I'm counting Miles of Morales as a, mm -hmm. its game. I know some people think it's just an expansion, but it's, I would say it's a step up from that. Yeah, it, much in the same way that Arkham City is an Arkham Knight kind of. You can see the evolution there. Mm -hmm. And in terms of traversal, I keep joking that they should call him Glider Man because I'm just gliding everywhere. But the once you start chaining things together and you can slingshot and glide and swing and it just all works so well, and it feels like a complete evolution, much in the same way that Arkham Knight had the Batmobile and stuff, and you would dive into yeah. that, drive along, launch yourself out. It's so fluid, um, and the city is so realized. It just feels like it's living and breathing. And I know there's lots of stupid comments on Twitter right now being like, you can't go ride the subway, or you can't ride your bike onto the subway line. It's like, mate, what, what are you talking about? It's just, no, you're not meant to be able to do that. Like, why? Why are you buying this game to do that? Um, and I, but I just think it's such a well-realized world, and not to sound cliche, because I'm sure every single review's done this, mm -hmm. and they've also done the parody of it as well. But it makes you feel like Spider-Man, Spider and that, that's yeah, definitely what I wanted from it. Now I'm not going to spoil it, um, but I, I do feel I was trying to think before, right? Is this the best Peter and Miles story we've ever got? Because I feel like, right, mm -hmm. and I'm not. I can't recall in the comics completely, but I always feel like they've n never really had that full relationship with each other where he's been a proper mentor to Miles and, and so on. There's always been something that's popped up. For example, obviously Miles was introduced in the Ultimate comics, but Peter died in that. And then you have uh, the Spider-Verse films where you know, Peter dies at the start of it and then one comes from another world, but then he has to go back home and then across the Spider-Verse he comes in and it's there's never really that solid Peter and Miles thing. Whereas I feel with this, it's like a true Peter and Miles story where there's not those existential things like the multiverse or them yeah. it being set in another universe or they kill a character off. It's just them getting to actually grow and, and spend time together and kind of see how the other can help them out and obviously you know peter's set up as that that mentor in miles's life but with this you kind of see how he needs miles as well because of the stuff with the venom story and how the symbiote attaches to him and i 
don't believe I've ever seen it where Peter's been struggling with the the Venom symbiote, but there's been Miles there as well to help him out and go through it. I think that's such an interesting dynamic story-wise to the point where I think you're completely right with the Craven stuff. Um, I'm not going to spoil what happens to him, but it it kind of felt like it could have been any villain really. Um, And they didn't quite get into the depth that I was really hoping that they would with him. He still works well, but there's no, there's no connection to Peter really. I think what they've done brilliantly in this series is even villains like Doc Octopus, who they've not, they, you know, in the comics, they've not had that massive connection to each other, but then they've done stuff like Dr. Octopus is marrying Aunt May. Whereas in the first game, he was his mentor and stuff. And it, it felt like Harry had a connection to him. And there's some villains that pop up in this that have connections to Peter. Whereas Craven, he's just kind of, popping up in the city to basically do a crocodile dundee and and just have a blast uh, but they give him a reason for why he's doing it it's quite a poignant thing and yeah it, the handling's still pretty well i yeah. think but i can totally see why they were like I, I believe they they probably came in with the idea of craven for this game and then realized you know we we should really do the symbiote suit in this because it's not quite enough to carry a game but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think everything's a step up from it. It's obviously getting rave reviews, except for from IGN, who I think gave it an 8 out of 10. I feel it deserves, it's either a 9 or a 10. Um, and yeah, there's there's so much in it that I love. Even just the way it opens with Sandman, it just yeah. completely pulls you into it. And you can, when you're getting thrown across the city by a giant Sandman, you, you're just like, this, this is the next step up. This is it. Yeah. This is like where things should be going and the story works so well the characters are really well developed it feels like a proper spider-man story and it makes you feel like spider-man i think there's they amplify a lot more of the malevolence i think there's more of this monstrosity element to it a lot more of these like horror creature vibes even right from the sandman stuff you know like like this is like kind of almost a kaiju movie in a way just of how how vast the scale is of it you know and and how much destruction there's happening and and how horrific it all is and i think too to your point about like with miles and peter what i've been loving so far is like while peter is the one who always has to like hone in on the good and he's dealing with the grief of aunt may and you know of course we know what happens when symbiote attaches himself to peter and brings out the darkness within him and such you have miles dealing with his own darkness as well without a symbiote you know and how that's been uh, a prevailing part of his character journey with Martin Lee and wanting to extract revenge and watching how that will affect choices when so much of about Spider-Man is about responsibility, is about choice. I love the line uh, that and the bar that Aunt May drops uh, or, or like mm. they explain that, 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 that not Aunt May is alive or something. It, they they split something that Aunt May said to him at one point in his life was that balance is um a process, not a destination. I'm like, that is such a poignant, that's such a powerful line to me. And it is the theme of it. I love how when Peter hears it though, he's like, Oh, that's interesting. I should have I maybe Aunt May had a point about that. Like, you mean you haven't thought yeah. about this yet? <laughs> like this is this is like your whole character. You should you should have been thinking about this the entire time. That's just my favorite little nugget in like a, it's a split second in the game of him going, Oh, maybe she had a point to that. And I'm like, Yeah, it's you're Spider Man. That is your struggle right there. Struggle for balance. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, it's good. Good stuff. Good stuff. I don't know. It's just a lesson you can walk away with. I think in like real life is because people always talk about balance. You got to find balance. And I, and I do, I, I, what I love, what I think of why Spider-Man has connected with so many people is those relatabilities, uh, qualities and, and, and the themes and the lessons that you can actually take away from a Spider-Man story, despite it being like so fictional and larger than life. A quote like that is, it's just a good, lesson in life to apply that it is a practice it is a discipline it's not really a a thing you just land on you know makes me feel like i'm a bad parent because i don't spout off any of the famous inspirational quotes <laughs> that both uncle ben and aunt may did you know what i mean I, yeah. I ain't got nothing like that i'm like put that put that plug socket down don't eat it you get in trouble and my my kids will grow up like yeah always remember dad used to say put that plug socket down and he was right. So yeah, great game. Love it. Um, I hope you guys have played it, or if, even watch the cutscenes because it's it's like a movie. It's that level of quality. Yeah. Everyone's given a great performance. They're sort of becoming almost the the characters to me, the the people who do the voices, much in the same way that you know Kevin Conroy became Batman. And when I'm reading Spider Man stuff, I'm starting to think of our Yuri's voice in my head. Mm-hmm. A bit creepy. I know you interviewed him. Um, but don't tell him I said that. Yeah. But Koi interviewed him, so he, yeah, he didn't did watch this, so he, he won't know. Um, but yeah, we've got more Spider-Man updates, uh, this time over to the movies. So Sony, according to Daniel RPK, they're developing a Wraith movie. So yeah. Sony, you know, they love, they love the Spider-Man spin-offs. They've got... I've, I've actually listened to a really interesting chapter in the MCU Reign of Marvel Studios book talking mm-hmm. about how Sony, during Far From Home, so, so basically what happened with Sony was they, they weren't getting what they wanted with their amazing Spider-Man. Um, and, w- and what happened was Kevin was like, you know, Kevin Feige, he was like, oh, well, well, we'll take care of him. And apparently Amy Pascal threw a sandwich off his face, told him to fuck off, and they, they weren't going to do it. And then, um, wait, wait, you're not like is, is, you're not making some joke like that's what they said happened. This is in the book. No, so what? so Kevin Feige, yeah, Kevin Feige invited Amy Pascal out to a hotel to kind of talk about maybe bringing Spider Man into the MCU. Um, and what she did was just told them to as soon as he suggested it. Apparently, got threw a sandwich off him, told him fuck off. And then what <laughs> happened was the the interview. Do you remember the interview with um the the Kim Jong? Il, or Kim Jong-un um, parody yeah, yeah, the yeah, interview yeah. with James so apparently what happened after that was people this is according to the book people inside the Korean government l- hacked Sony and leaked all the emails and uh-huh. then that's what made the, the talks happen again but so, so Kevin Feige you know they produced um, Homecoming first ever film to, to make a billion for um, Sony I Spider-Man. believe it was I'll double check that just to make sure, um, but I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. So Homecoming did the the 880, and I think it was Far From Home did the billion. And um, but during that, Sony were like, "Oh well, we don't actually need Marvel Studios, so we're going to cut the deal. We get full ownership of the character." And then, uh, yeah, they that that's when they've started doing their spinoffs again and stuff, which, for better or worse, you know, we we have to cover them. And better. I'll tell you what, Greg. There were rumors that the Madame Web trailer was going to release today, and I was like, I just can't be arsed. I've got far too much on my plate. Got Invincible coming up, Loki, Gen V, Five Nights at Freddy's, 
the ring and I just thought I hope it doesn't drop because I just cannot be bothered yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that's kind of going on a, a long-winded way to say that they're developing a Wraith movie. We're going to have to pretend we're big Wraith fans for the next year or so. Um, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's going to get cancelled, man. Who's, who's going to give a shit about this? Wraith is one of those characters yeah. that I think you could... I, I am not far enough along in the game, please don't tell me, to know... If Wraith, I know that Yuri Watanabe is one of the people, like, becomes Wraith. But Yuri, like, Yuri was in the first yes. game as well. Yeah, so I'm I'm not, but I'm saying, like, in Spider-Man 2, I'm not far enough along to know if in the game there's a hint that she becomes that or something. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, I don't know. Um, it, I think Wraith is one of those characters that if you brought them into, like, if you brought, like, Yuri Watanabe, for example, into live action, you tease them as that first, and then mm. they become Wraith down the road. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I don't know about a standalone movie though. <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know if that's something people are going to be interested enough in it. But it, 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 there's a uh, there's a scenario, I suppose, where you could do it, and then you could have a Spider-Man cameo instead of just some misleading trailer that makes you think there's going to be a heavy amounts of Spider-Man connectivity to it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, so another uh, thing RPK put out was that one draft for Spider-Man four is already finished. And the plan right now is to shoot the movie late 2024. Now how I would do it, but I don't know if Sony would, I would introduce Yuri in that film because obviously it's a new Tom Holland thing. He's kind of, everyone's forgotten about him. He's out living his own life now. Right, complete. He's no no longer in high school. He's off doing his own thing, um. And I think working alongside the police and so on that would be the way to introduce Yuri. But obviously, you know, the whole thing with Sony is they have their own disconnected universe off where Michael Keaton's at or whatever. Um. So I don't know if they would have to get Marvel's permission. Well, get permission from Marvel Studios to basically make a Wraith movie connected to the one with Tom Holland. Um, but I mean, mm. Tom Hardy kind of connected in a way because he jumped across to that universe and back just to drop off the black suit. <laughs> but yeah, so interesting stuff going on at Sony. Yeah. Oh man, that that literally Kevin Feige pulling pulling Venom across to just get a little drop of black suit, and it's like, right, you can go now. Got it. Got it. <laughs> it's. I remember once I got invited into a, a YouTube um, office. For a for a company that does a lot of YouTube videos, and they basically picked my brains. They promised me a job, picked my brains all day for what I would do, and then were like, "Oh yeah, sorry, we don't want to work with you." And I was thinking maybe that's exactly what happened with Tom Hardy. Yeah. You know, Kevin Feige was just like, "Yeah, come over the come over the MCU. We've got a portal set up so you can jump through." And then, uh, yeah, you can go home, mate. Get, get yourself out of here. <laughs> it's so good that that whole movie, No Way Home, was so impactful. And so so memorable for a vast variety of reasons, because it makes you kind of forget just how freaking pointless all that was with Venom. Yeah, because that post credit scene in Let There Be Carnage was all the talk about that movie was oh my god, like people were flipping out about it, and then it amounted to like nothing <laughs> in no way home. Yeah, and and we it did it was not that much of a discourse because. It had a good, it had a great movie to overshadow that. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, they didn't a, even a, explain though how he knew Spider Man was Peter Parker because in yeah. his universe, there's no Spider Man or Peter Parker. I know they had some line with Venom where he was like, "I will show you the entire multiverse knowledge that I have because we're connected as a hive mind." But that yeah. not that's not really finding out that Spider Man's Peter Parker, mate. I think that I think that, Kevin, I think you were pulling people's legs there. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Kevin pulling people in with his legs leg Loki sounds like leg key and Loki season two episode four we got a chance to see it Greg what did you think this is the last last episode of early access we're gonna get yeah I I was exactly the same when when we uh did the first episode I was raving about it and then I think you could see in in our tone like while we really we've really been loving Loki for the most part we've had our like criticisms about two and three and maybe not being as high of like a t- in, in terms of a, pr- a praise this was i i messaged you after i watched it like this is really it is gr- it is one of my favorite without spoiling anything I, I the thing that i took the most away from it in terms of an uh emotional context is I genuinely thought it was suspenseful and I don't actually say that with any of the Disney plus Marvel stuff, even the ones I've loved. I I'm, I'm like, you you can find something exciting. You can find something captivating, but the word suspenseful is very specific to me. Like this is, this is intense. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm actually like on the edge of my, like, I'm, I'm like, this is, this is really intense. I loved this episode. I think it's, really really great and i i hope people love it as much as we do <laughs> or else something's wrong with me because i i yeah. really i really think this is one of the best disney plus episodes i i don't want to feel like i'm way overselling it now or does the ex- expectations could be so high for it but i really do think it's one of the best disney plus episodes they've ever done yeah no i completely agree um i had, I had some problems with jonathan majors acting in episode three i was a bit like What's he doing? He's like a bumbling idiot. Take me back to the days where we had threatening villains that I was scared of. He kind of tones it down for this episode, gives a much more personal performance, but there's still, you know, the the comedic side to him. And it's ending. Where you're gonna know when you see it. Wow, what an ending! To, yeah. um, my jaw was on the floor. Just did not see it coming at all. Completely unexpected. And the way they go with it, it's kind of like crap. Where do things go now? It's it's yeah. really well put together and structured, um, and it kind of it, it kind of plays on some things earlier in the season that you we've seen getting pieced together. But it, it's almost it does it all in a way to kind of trick you into a false sense of security, and it's so well done. Everyone's just there's real dynamism to the episode where it's constantly jumping back and forth between certain sides in one location um and it just works really really well i think i think this was up there for for my you know it's between the first episode and this one for my favorite in the season so far but it was absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant and i can totally see why they released these four to critics early and Definitely. yeah loved it loved it I, and and it's got me excited to see to to venture into the unknown where I don't know what's going to happen and I'm not going to have that advanced knowledge over everyone else and we're all kind of going to experience it together because I know we moan about being YouTubers but it can be tough being a critic when you 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 kind of almost lose your excitement sometimes because there'll be things that we get sent 
like I, there was a, there's a show that's not even out yet that I got sent back at the start of September and it, it's coming oh, yeah. in the middle of November mm. and it's like I I I, love, I was I really enjoyed it um but I'm not allowed to talk about it with anyone and it I feel like by the point I get to it where people are, are ready to talk about it it'll kind of be I don't want to brag but it'll be like old news for me and my excitement won't be maintained for that entire time so when I see people talking about it I'm just gonna be like oh yeah 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 it was it was good wasn't it um so I'm really excited with the way this ends can't wait to see what happens next time it's it's a very central cast it's you know it's your it's your key figures from the season so far that you've you've all got on board with you know ob sylvie hunter b15 they, they're x5 you know they, they all kind of bring them together and give them all really interesting things to do and then i think in the last 10 minutes they just throw like three curveballs your way and she's yeah. like okay yeah, excited to see where this goes. I mean, it, yeah, the whole thing just ramps up. Like, I think the last ten minutes will be the talk of the episode, but I think the whole episode, the entire episode's great. I think like the entire thing is great, and uh, and the last ten minutes will will be the talk of the episode, rightfully so. <laughs> like, I didn't see, I didn't see any of that coming either. Uh, it's really like, it's maybe really not great. even the last ten minutes, like the last ten like seconds, thirty seconds. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty yeah. awesome. It's great stuff, great stuff. And um, yeah, I I, I what, what's cool too is. Like the last tidbit I would say about it is that season one ended in a way where the talk of it was the last few minutes, right? Uh, of what happened in there. And then we had to wait a long time to see if how any of this would affect anything in, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, future movies, you know, like we had to just kind of wait. And here we just have to wait one week <laughs> to see what happens yeah. and i'm like ooh, this is really exciting you know that's yeah. that's what i find really fun about it no really good i i feel like it could have been a season finale in all honesty i feel like if yeah ended it there you'd be like my oh point. crap yeah. um but yeah we've got two more weeks after this it, it's kind of give me the feeling that loki season one episode forwarded at the end mm -hmm. where something happens at the end and you just kind of like, okay, where, where are we going to go with this now? But then they spoiled that a bit by giving us a post credit scene showing the three Lokis in the void. It's kind of like that sort of thing. And it's, you, you, you imagine that post credit scene wasn't there. You're just like, wow, what the hell's going to happen next? It's kind right. of leaving you with a feeling of mystery. And, and yeah, I can't wait to talk about it properly when everyone's seen it. Um, and I'll, I will still be excited for that. Thank God. Um, but my excitement is being pulled down, Greg, by disappointment of Deadpool 3 getting delayed. Um, so the film, yeah, it got pushed back. You know, it was uh, for for months they were saying, oh, the strikes won't affect it. It's going to be ready. And everyone everyone behind the scenes is like, no way, mate. It's no, getting it's delayed. Just come out and say it. It's delayed. Yeah. And yeah, that's come to pass. Um, so it is now delayed. Yeah. Director Sean Levy recently cast doubt on them even being finished in time to make the release date, the new release date of July 26, 2024, as he told the rap, I wish I knew. And this is obviously all contingent on the strikes, which we talked about before. Hopefully, you know, they sort it out this week when we release this, as they are talking today when this video comes out. But yeah, disappointing. And I, it does make me kind of worry a bit about marvel and how their hype's going to be maintained because unfortunately i i don't feel like the marvels is going to really 
bring people back on board and I don't feel like Echo is. What if the same thing with that? Um, and I don't, I don't know how Captain America 4 is going to do because, you know, it, it's kind of coming off the back of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I, I enjoy it, but I know there's mm-hmm. people out there that have they have mixed feelings on it. And I was feeling like Deadpool was going to be the surefire hit that was going to get everyone excited for for things. And, and just to see it get pushed back a bit, it's like, I don't know, it kind of feels like, oh, no, are they are, are they like releasing so many projects in a row that people might not be hyped for and then dropping that when maybe the hype's already evaporated? But I mean, I say that, I'm going to be there day one. Yeah, I mean, the, the teaser they released of just Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman talking, that was enough to get me on board the film. Um, so yeah, it's, it's disappointing seeing stuff get delayed, but it was expected. Yeah, man. What are your thoughts, Greg? My thoughts are Hugh Jackman is probably getting laid so much in the meantime mm. now that he is. Okay, do you not think recently, he's upset that he's broke up with his wife? I think divorce, if if it's necessary, it, it's a good thing. <laughs> okay. It's, it's something to be celebrated. You shouldn't stay together if you're not happy. Is Hugh Jackman get married? Is Hugh Jackman. He's going to have a good time. He's going to be enjoying enjoying life and... He's been married to her for like 30 years. What are you on about? He's probably devastated. Well, no, nah, man. I'm seeing um, uh, he's he's Hugh Jackman. He's got the he's 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 a senior with a great body. He's probably fine. He's probably going to have to cut all this again. No, man. No, no. I'm sure I'm sure there's some hardship. And I'm sure one of his ways of grieving is just <laughs> taking advantage of a single life, man. He's Hugh Jackman. It's he's just got totally- the- what what's this got to do with Deadpool three again? It's got everything Greg. to do That's with Deadpool three, about. man. It's got everything to do. We're so late into the podcast, we might as well talk about it. It's got everything to do with Deadpool three. Hugh Jackman is is, is trying to stay in shape. He has to stay in that Wolverine body until until they can get back to filming. He's got to do something with that body in the meantime, right? Come on, Paul. No one. Someone has okay. to say it. Someone has to say it. Don't cut this. Don't this cut this. This is why oh. people don't watch our podcasts. <laughs> this is why people this. don't watch the podcast, Greg. Hugh Jackman is getting action right now to stay active until Deadpool three resumes filming. Um, okay. The uh, yeah, I mean, it's I agree with you on a serious note. I agree with you. I think I think Captain America four is um I think it's a harder sell than people are probably really realizing. You know, and it's. It's you're, you're. I don't think you actually need to see Falcon and Winter Soldier to watch it. At least I hope not. I like Falcon and Winter Soldier a lot. But the way the way exactly. Falcon and the Winter Soldier finishes, it's in the exact same place as stuff was at the end of Endgame. Yeah, except yeah. now he's like, "All right, I got a suit, and I'm more confident about this decision now." Right? Like that's about yeah. it. Um, you have to sell people. Though, fix on. that boat. They fix the boat. They fix the goddamn so- boat. <laughs> I, I think I think you I think you need to to sell people on it, but it seems like it could be a really cool political type of thriller. You know, I'm not talking like woke politics. It's got the Hulkin and stuff. Yeah, it's all about Hulk and stuff. I, I How can that be a political thriller? It can be though, dude. I mean, Hulk's got this political okay. slant about super soldiers and, and shit like that. Uh, I, I think you can. I think you can do a, a really compelling trailer out of it that can be very intense. I'm excited for the first look 
of it to see what they do because I'm I'm rooting for it. I I am I am rooting for it because even on my end, you know, like to go from Steve Rogers to someone who's not Steve Rogers, I'm I'm of course going to see it. I'm of course interested, and I really like Anthony Mackie in the role. I I thought he was great in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, at the same time, it's it is it is a harder it is a harder sell. So I I really want to. I'm really hoping it's going to do it, but I am on the same page as you as I think Deadpool three would have been the thing to reignite that spark for the Marvel cinematic universe. And I'm not sure this new captain America movie is, is the way to go about it because people still like a big part of the conversation is, and the reason why I'm saying it's a battle is because as much as there was the Falcon winter soldier show, as much as, you know, they had that big scene where he handed off the shield. We had old man Steve Rogers and everything. They're still asking Chris Evans every freaking interview. Will you come back? And then he still talks about whether or not he'll come back. And he's like, ah, you know, I'm going to talk completely off the table. I might, I might, I might still come back. So there's still that, that little, a little slither of hope that he might return still, you know, and, and it, it kind of, it does wash away the, enthusiasm to see Anthony Mackie carry on the mantle when so much of the conversation is still about will will Chris Evans return you know and and this movie has a lot to prove that we sh- this has to be the defining moment where we let Chris Evans go this is the mo- this is really it this film so a lot's riding on it and that's why I'm rooting yeah. for it to do well well, I was texting Ryan Airy, and I was having the same conversation with him, and he said, I think Captain America 4 and the Thunderbolts will do well. And I was like, well, the Thunderbolts is like the sidekicks movie, and they're still kind of messing about with the script and that. Yeah. Cap 4, you know, I think you're completely right. I think it depends how they integrate the Hulk, what goes down with that. Like, the Hulk is my favorite Marvel character, and I always feel like he's kind of been mishandled a bit at the MCU. Kind um, of. I really like the <laughs> the, the early iterations. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Avengers was great. I thought Age of Ultron was great, and then they turned him way too goofy. Like he he is the perfect example of how Marvel have kind of taken their big strong characters, turned them into goof- who are complete badasses. They've turned them into goofy, like stupid comedic relief, and I feel that's the case with Thor. Um, you know that there's not that level of seriousness with them and i'm hoping that captain america 4 has it's brave new world isn't it I keep, i'm deliberately saying captain america 4 because i've totally forgot what title it is because they changed it it was new world order and they changed it to brave new world um so yeah yes. it's obviously harrison ford's going to be playing the general ross which i'm um, well president ross sorry which they're going to be getting in um red hulk with that as well because remember in secret invasion they said Sounds like a one-term president to me, which great, great way to set things up, guys. Um, but it, yeah, I'm hoping that they send Hulk back to the kind of rage monster where he's trying to grapple with, you know, the 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 MCU book talks. Uh, it has a great chapter about the Hulk, and what they do in the book is they kind of go through each film and talk about the behind-the-scenes stuff, the character motivations, the themes, and they're saying that the appeal of Hulk, which I've never realized, is that. He, everyone has the this urge within them to just go get angry and just smash stuff up and go over the top of it and just go crazy, which is what the Hulk represents. However, Banner represents the more 
cool mind after that the the side of regret like you know when you lose your cool and you kind of yeah. you let it all out you go crazy yeah. and it, it feels good but then you have that come down and that regret of like oh no what have i done and clarity of what you've guilty. done yeah exactly and that is what the hulk is and that is why everyone can kind of relate to him because we all have these two sides within us and you know banners in control most of the time but there'll be certain points in your life when you you lose your temper and just let it out and you feel like oh crap i regret it none of that's in the hulk at the moment smart hulk was great for endgame i thought he worked really well as part of what they they were going for with that but yeah how they used him in she hulk and stuff just just wasn't well served to the character that was once the one of the main members of the Avengers, and uh, since I've been nerfing him, turning him, turning him into a joke, you know, introducing his son in what is the worst introduction ever, just makes me less excited to see what they're going to do with him in the future. So I'm hoping that the Red Hulk brings the red back out of him, and they set it up as that, and. I, I feel like the, the Captain America could be very much in the same way that Civil War was kind of an ensemble piece and that they bring the Hulk in, sort it out, and and that'll be good. I think that'll really elevate the movie. But for the moment, it, it feels like a lot of people kind of see it as being almost a, a continuation of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, it's difficult to go from seeing something on TV, on a streaming service, and then try and sell a movie off the back of that. It, it tends to be the other way around where... It, it kind of feels like we should have this expectation for Sam's Captain America that he should be a, a small screen character, whereas I want to really see them sell it as him being the big guy, um, and I think that'll obviously carry the movie. But, you know, I, I do feel the MCU hype, if, if they don't deliver with that, then it's going to really suffer, and it is kind of going almost downhill a bit. And we have kind of seen that in the case of the Marvel's box office, um, which is yeah the the latest figures they have been updated so tracking is forecasting seventy five to eighty million for an opening weekend so oh, there's a yeah. slight improvement on what was before but yeah I just still I mean it's less than a month away and I just still don't see the hype really getting on board for it obviously the actors you know they can't promote the movie at the moment but there's still not that that buzz to it I think going back through this book. And hearing all this, the the old movies and going through the timeline and stuff, it like re- reminded me of what made me feel like Marvel had magic. You know what I mean? Uh, and I feel like that magic with Marvel's kind of gone. Loki, really good, but I don't feel like there's that magic around the the announcements and the slate at the moment. You know, every release doesn't feel like oh crap, we're building up to the next thing and so on. It just kind of feels like it's releasing content for the sake of releasing content so they can release well, content down the I, line. I just found the review embargo for Marvels and it is it comes out November 9th, Thursday, November 9th at night, right? Uh the review embargo is November 8th <laughs> in the morning, which is very late for a Marvel movie, very very late yeah, for a Marvel movie. Very late. Uh, um, yeah, I got my what, invite. Did they say what social media reactions uh, are? The, the Tuesday, is? November 7th at 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So the day before the reviews lift, that's the social media. 12 hours before the reviews lift, yeah. I mean, that is late, and we deal a lot with this. Like, I was talking about Loki. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sure that was the week before or something. Right. And most movies tend to be, most Marvel movies, t- the social media tends to be it's normally the immediately after the premiere mm-hmm. and people go out and tweet their initial thoughts. And then I think it's normally the Monday 
when the review embargo lifts and right. then it releases on the Friday. Whereas that, I mean, that's not, that doesn't fill me with confidence. And obviously the hearing screening is, is, the screening is so weird. Okay. So the, at least the first rounds of screenings that they're sending out here, Tuesday, which is I'm, I'm, I'm on the list that most people are going to be on. Um, maybe they'll have earlier ones. Uh, Tuesday, November 7th at 7 o'clock p.m. Movies an hour, 45 minutes. Social media embargo lifts, 9 o'clock p.m. So I think the idea is like the second they're out of the theater, they should be tweeting about it. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of late. That's that's really late. <laughs> uh, I know you're not confident, Greg. And people might think we're being negative because, you know, but just the way these things out. tend people to think operate. We're <laughs> well, we are negative, to be fair. But I, w- I want to be positive. Genuinely, I do want to be positive. But that doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. And I kind of feel like Nieta Costa is almost trying to get in front of it. Like, if, you, if you've been watching or li- reading what her interviews are, she's kind of been saying, like, well, Kevin's the one who's in control of everything. And sometimes I was just directing to, like, a green ball or a, a green screen or something. And it, it kind of sounds like she's almost trying to get in front of it. And if it's bad, she can be like, well, it was telling you guys. Um, but obviously, you know that they've that they're trying to cash in on the success of Barbie. I feel, um, but whether that's going to happen or not, we'll have to see. I, I think what they've, I think box office analysts in general who who mistaken things in the past and saying like, oh, well, it's going to do Barbie numbers and stuff. I think they haven't realized like Barbie is the most popular girls toy in the entire world. It's got a massive history. Whereas Captain Marvel, it isn't, you know, and, and again, I think it kind of comes down to audiences. I know women, women went out in droves to see Barbie, like Marvel's main audience is men and, and women don't necessarily associate Marvel as being something made for them, like how they think Barbie is. Um, and Disney kind of, they, they built their whole empire on, on princesses and stuff and, I I feel I might be wrong with this, but what I feel they're trying to do is almost take these male, and this is actually covered in the book as well. But they're taking these male-centric franchises and putting women into attract both audiences into it. Um, but sometimes you know, it, it feels like they're they're kind of moving away from the, the key demographic that they really should. And I don't feel like they've fully marketed this movie towards men, um, who are still they they still make up the the basis of mob i'm trying to say it without sounding sexist greg and i don't know if i'm doing a really good job with it but you know hey, what i'm trying to say you know it's a, i try to make yeah. the points clear right out because we, we can always hear the other side where people misunderstand what we're saying and we're like no yeah we're just talking about the context of the characters and stuff we're yeah. not talking about this, like, but, this you know at school it, it was the nerds all the boy nerds were in a marvel you know what i mean i didn't see yeah. the the girls sitting on the table talking about Marvel and Captain Marvel and stuff. Maybe things have changed recently. I've been in a school for a long time, uh, but it kind of feels like they haven't necessarily marketed this towards men. Now, one thing they did with Wonder Woman, which I thought always thought was very, very smart to get men to come in, was that they had Steve Trevor, Chris Pine playing him, and they could at least be like, well, look, it's got something for the guys, something for the girls, whereas this kind of feels like they've sort of pushed it towards just a, a barbie audience but again you're like i'm not necessarily sure that women grew up with captain marvel in the same way that they did with barbie for example my wife rarely goes to cinema but first night she was there for barbie 
talking about the models with her, she's like, I'm not even interested in seeing it. And yeah, I kind of feel like women in general might not be up to speed with the MCU in the same way that men are, and they're kind of maybe just not as interested. But I'm trying to sound, say this without sounding sexist, Greg. You know what I'm saying. I think you pulled it off, man. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. You don't, don't sound... want to get divorced. My male mind is saying you don't sound sexist. I will... I mean, they got they got Nick Fury in the trailers. Men, men. Yeah, but did people watch drove. Secret Invasion? You know, I don't. Thinking about it, I I think because I've never really, and I'm not I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. I've never really noticed like the the whole thing when it's like a woman lead or something until other people are pointing it out, and and it's because. I think it's because when I was growing up, I watched a lot of Hong Kong cinema, and I like, I, I like the specifically like the Jackie Chan and Jet Li, the early days of like with their actual Hong Kong films, and that's when I was really into Michelle Yeoh, uh, was her films, and then I had movies when I was like nine years old, like that had like Trinity, and I watched like my favorite film was Terminator Two, and I loved Aliens, and you know like I watched so many things with female leads, and and then there was like. There's also like Maggie Chung in Hong Kong and stuff. And and uh, so to me, I, I guess I don't really notice it. <laughs> but then it becomes such a, a conversation that I'm, I'm a little unaware of. Like I love like yeah. Kill Bill. Remember Kill Bill? Like Kill Bill was yeah. was a huge film. And it was so much female centric uh, in front of the camera. And and uh, now, though, when it's like a woman, it, it's such a. It's such a conversation, isn't it? Uh, it? It's it's really really strange because I I don't really I don't really notice it until someone points it out. I mean, yeah, when you put, like, I'm exactly one... the same to be honest. Yeah. I never really focus on it that much. Um, but what will often happen is I'll not be thinking about it, and then I'll go on YouTube. There'll be yeah. like 50 <laughs> videos already made about it, and I'll be like, oh yeah, I guess so. Exactly. Maybe I should. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should exactly. boycott everything. And just. <laughs> only watch movies from the yeah. 70s oh wait they've got women in them too oh no what god damn um yeah. so yeah very strange it's kind of sad seeing this because i know they were banking on it but just all the things that we've we've seen there i mean marvel they need some consecutive wins back to back they really okay. do guardians loki great uh, and if they take a dip here, I feel like it's going to almost set the mood back to how it was kind of at the start of the year where people were like a bit down on Quantumania, you know, down on Thor, Love and Thunder and kind of wanting Marvel to really hit its stride again. And uh, I feel like if this is a stumble, then it might kind of take them out of that, which is a shame. Uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, we'll see how it goes, but that embargo date has not filled me with confidence and, uh, yeah, I think Although, the fact that the stars can't come out and promote it, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. What they put in big bold red letters here is we respectfully ask that you refrain from revealing spoilers, cameos, character developments, and detailed story points in order to give your audiences around the world the opportunity to enjoy our movies to the fullest and allow them to discover any surprises and plot twists. So maybe, just maybe. They're running it late because there's going to be some game changer stuff in here. Huh? Do you believe I mean, Did they do that with Endgame? No, I don't believe not it. at all. I don't believe this. No, they had yeah. screenings way earlier for Endgame. That's Even so No Way Home, <laughs> so they managed to keep like 
Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield's <laughs> secret, and they still lifted the embargo like days and days before. And people were like, there's some big surprises in this, and uh, you guys know what they are, but it's, you definitely don't want to spoil it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it's necessarily that, but we're going to see, Greg. We're going to we'll see. see I want the MCU to do well. And you know what? The reason why I want the MCU to do well is because what? I've been listening to the audiobook for MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, an incredible book, Greg. Um, I just wanted to end the podcast talking about this, and I really, really do. I think um, if you guys are interested in listening to very relaxing voices talking about the history of Marvel, then you need to go pick up that audio book. Or if you like the text and you like to feel a book in your hand and read it, or even if you like it on your Kindle, you guys need to go check it out. The, the, this has became my almost my go-to now of kind of looking at what went into the movies and all the creative efforts behind them. There was so much in this that I learned about the studio and all the ups and downs with it. The way it starts is it, it begins on really quick. Can I can I ask a quick question? Quick question before before uh, um, is that the so much of what comes out about this is is a lot of like so, almost like dramatic reveals of things that that people talk about. It, but is the is it made from like like Disney produced this or did some like journalist do, like who's the one who created this book? Is my question. So it was Joanne Robinson and her team. I'm not sure who they are, unfortunately. Okay. Um, but she's kind of been the person who's been going on the podcast talking about it. So Disney were originally on board with her doing it and they were completely open. And then it got to a point where they were kind of like, don't speak to her. Please don't say anything. Uh, and I don't know if it's because cool. I, I, I kind of feel like they might have been expecting a puff piece. Right. And what she did was uncover you know, the, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And this feels like a real documentation of what actually went on during the time. And it cool. actually, it starts off on the Avengers, like the Avengers is premiered, I think. And it's Kevin Feige basically sitting with the core cast. And then he starts uh -huh. saying like, we're going to be making a cinematic universe. And then it kind of spirals out from there. It goes back to the seventies. It talks about the early days of Marvel, the bankruptcy, um, acquisitions, Toy Biz getting involved, Ron Perlman, and then it kind of goes through the start of it with Iron Man, all the casting process behind him, and then pretty much every chapter from that point on is it's taking a film, talking about how it was made, the difficulties with it, what mm. went well, and there's just so much stuff in it that I just, like, even things that I thought I knew, it, it expands on them so much. Um, for example, Joss Whedon. I actually didn't realize how much of a hand he had in the decisions of the way that the MCU was going to go um, and all his drama with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff. Also, Robert Downey Jr. as well. Didn't realize how much of a hand he had in crafting stuff. And then it goes into things like the Sony acquisition. There's also a civil war within Marvel itself where it's talking about how Marvel East Coast were kind of at war with Marvel West Coast because they were deciding what they could and couldn't do and it's just so well structured it really makes it's a trip down memory lane basically and i think if you listen to it or if you read it you're going to remember why you fell in love with this stuff in the first place and it, it, as soon as i've i've finished it, it i was like i really want to go back and watch the mcu from the start again which is a feeling i haven't felt for so long because there's been such a focus on the future and, and new content and these new shows and stuff and I've not really had time to go back and appreciate those older movies. Like during the pandemic, I think I watched through the MCU in total twice. 
Um, obviously, there was a lot less titles back then, but it, there wasn't any new content coming out. And I just went back and I just would watch through them like maybe one a day. And it was, uh, I really did enjoy that time and gotten away from it. But this made me remember why, why I loved it. And it's just, it's got great interviews with people on board, every, everything you'd want to know. And it's structured in a way where it's, it's like a story almost. It it has like the the highs and lows and and what goes into it and the the you appreciate the genius behind the MCU and and yeah, I just absolutely loved it. I think it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and I'm no I've no doubt I'm going to be referencing it in, in future work and and talking about it so much. So yeah, if you guys are looking for an audio book or something to read or you know, just even just to, you want to learn one thing about yeah. a certain film, say, say Civil War is your favorite and you want to learn something like, for example, Marvel East Coast didn't think that Tony Stark should be in the film. And they also didn't think that heroes should fight each other. And they so they didn't want the Tony Stark in it at all. They didn't want the uh, airport battle scene mm. and just crazy stuff like that. And the fights that they had to do to really get those things included in the film. It, it's so it's worth picking up and uh, yeah must have for, for people who are interested in marvel um if you if you listen to this podcast i'm guessing you are and you know if you like a balanced view on things it's not just like the one that disney released where it's like marvel was the greatest thing ever and it had no difficulties and everyone really enjoyed working there and there was no strain at yeah. all it, it even goes into things like why edward norton and kevin feige didn't get along and what he was promised and and how he kind of took over the project and stuff and yeah it's so well detailed and i think i think you're gonna love it if you if you check it out which you should you should and go and support the book because it's really really good why can't your brand deals ever be this good paul you just they should be man i should really hit them up and be like when am i getting paid for this yeah. I'm shilling now you just totally book. sold me on this man i'm just like damn if you could do this for your yeah. Those cereals, <laughs> what is what is the yeah. magic spoons? <laughs> um, yeah, if I'd be buying so yeah. much magic spoon right now, I'd be like, damn, this guy really sold me on this <laughs> magic spoon. Yeah, right um, so go check it out. That that was great. That's uh, no, I mean, I didn't. I I had the imp- I asked you that question because I had that impression that it was like a Marvel puff beast thing that they're producing being like, here's why Marvel's great. That's what I thought. And then I'm hearing these stories. I was like, Oh, apparently not. So now you just opened my eyes to it. You genuinely got me intrigued yeah. by it. Yeah. And I mean, even on audible, if you haven't had a free trial on that, you can go listen to it there, but fantastic work, Again, man. Damn, dude, you just saw me on audible. Like your brand, yeah. you and your, if you did this for manscaped, I'd be buying some more. I'd be shaving my balls more often. <laughs> I do do this for Manscaped. So. Um, but yeah, fantastic. It, it, you know what? It, it makes me optimistic that the MCU can be saved. Again, I know we're very negative, but I feel like documenting stuff like this, like I'm sure Kevin Feige's listened to it or read it. I'm sure the guys picked it up and went through it. And I, I feel like this might even spark yeah. in him. It'd be like, yeah, you know what? We've messed up. Let's let's go back and fix stuff. Let's fire the Daredevil writers. <laughs> yeah, let's waste hundred and fifty million dollars on Daredevil and go back to square one. You son of a bitch, we're back. Woo-hoo. This book made me fire um, so everyone yeah. from Daredevil. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so yeah, I wish I could just sit and talk about it all day, but I feel like if I start spoiling stuff, then people might not go read it. Nah, um, you sold the sizzle, yeah, dude. Have, but 
done a fantastic job with it. Loved it. Um, one of the, one of the, if you're a, yeah, if you're a fan of Marvel, please go read it and please hit the thumbs up button on this video and subscribe and also go listen to us on Spotify, Amazon, and anywhere you get your podcast gang. Yeah, Apple, man. Apple podcasts. So yeah, that's another episode. Crazy, crazy stuff going on in the world right now. Um, so I hope yeah. you've enjoyed this little hour and a half break away from it all. And uh, thank you again, guys, for, for stopping by and checking us out. 